Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. The concept of intersectionality describes the ways in which systems of inequality based on race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, and other forms of discrimination intersect to create unique dynamics and effects. Regarding healthcare, collecting data on intersectional social factors like race, ethnicity, gender identity, and sexual orientation can help identify disparities experienced by specific populations. That, in turn, can help develop initiatives that can target a specific community's health needs and hopefully produce positive health outcomes. Today, we're excited to speak with Gregory Church, president of 4Medica, that's the number four with the word Medica, on how incorporating intersectionality in our analysis of social determinants of health can improve the quality of data used to address health equity. Welcome back to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. I'm Matthew Albright, Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous. I'm also a board member for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I, the preeminent national membership organization for health IT guidance and collaboration. Recognized and trusted as a formal advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, WEDI drives public-private partnerships to improve health information exchange by bringing together organizations from across the healthcare spectrum, including providers, payers, vendors, and the government. If your healthcare organization is not a WEDI member and would like to learn more about one, about becoming one, visit our website. That's at wedi.org. And as I said, today we're excited to talk to Gregory Church, who was president of 4Medica. Gregory began his career with a consumer-facing healthcare provider referral company in Boulder, Colorado, where he quickly moved up the ranks from managing corporate marketing communications to becoming the company's senior vice president of corporate marketing. From there, he led business development and marketing at an EDI company, which was eventually acquired by Trizetto. In 2009, Mr. Church joined Formedica and helped the company define new product lines in the areas of patient identity matching, clinical data exchange, and revenue cycle management service. And today, he is president of Formedica. Gregory, welcome and so very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, Pleasure to be here today. Terrific. So uh, as we do uh, in this podcast so often, let's start with your origin story. How did you get pulled into, uh, well, first of all, healthcare in general, and then what led you to this specific area of of health disparities and social determinants of health? Well, you know, from a young age, Matthew, I was disheartened by my uh, grandfather's battle with cancer and a complex healthcare system back in the early 80s and igniting kind of a deep-rooted motivation to improve patient care. It really inspired me by the potential of technology to solve healthcare challenges. And I aspired to lead a career in healthcare technology, really working towards, you know, what we do here at Formedica every day is creating the vision of a one patient, one record platform where, you know, seamless data integration and accessibility that ultimately would revolutionize healthcare delivery and empower both patients and providers. Very good. And and um, tell us a little bit more about what Four Medica does there. How do, how do how does that contribute to that that mission? Yeah. So we're a 25 year old healthcare technology company, and our focus is really on the principle again of one patient, one record. And that means to improve healthcare delivery. You know, our company's mission is really to enable the comprehensive view of patient information. You know, bringing together fragmented data 
from disparate sources into a unified and actionable record. And if you think about why that's important, you know, there's so much going on in healthcare and there's a lot of innovation and solutions that try to streamline data integrity and data aggregation and improve interoperability. But you've got to take it further than that. You've got to be able to look at these data, you know, elements, the data silos and say, how do we actually enhance you know, clinical decision-making and reducing errors, but ultimately improving patient outcomes for everyone. And that really, you know, is kind of our premise and focus. So, you know, think of us as a data quality platform, but if you look at, you know, things that are still out there predominantly today, you know, challenges of identity management and data fragmentation across these disparate systems in healthcare, you know, we try to bring solutions together to not only accurately match and aggregate these, you know, these data sets, but importantly, we want to make sure that we can bring the most relevant information at the right time. So healthcare providers deliver more coordinated and personalized care, but now we're empowering patients to actually participate in their healthcare journey. And and that's a switch in the way we've been looking at healthcare. So that's really our focus, you know, as a company. I, I like how we can surmise, right? Some of the, the the your missions, which which align with a lot of uh, what uh, a lot of thinkers with healthcare are thinking about there, right? With one patient, one record, and and also that kind of simple idea of the right information at the right time to the right person, right? Correct. Um, and so it. You talked about um, data fragmentation, which I think leads us to this concept of intersectional social data. Tell me a bit about um, what 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 does that term mean, and how can it be utilized? How does how, can you give me an example of how it can be applied? Yeah, well, you know, personally, I firmly believe that the collection of intersectional social data is crucial in the fight against health disparities. You know. By understanding um, the unique challenges and social determinants that different populations face, you know, we can identify and address the root causes of disparities, ensuring that, you know, healthcare resources are allocated equitably, you know, and only through, you know, a comprehensive understanding of intersecting factors such as race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, and more, we can develop, you know, these targeted interventions and policies that promote health equity, you know, eliminating these disparities and improving overall population health. Good. And so there's the theory. So tell me how, how do you have an example of where we've seen this happen, where, where this collection of data can then be targeted well uh, towards health inequities? Yeah, so I guess consider the example, you know, of a community health initiative focused on reducing cardiovascular disease, you know, known as CBD, and disparities among underrepresented populations. So by collecting intersectional social data, the initiative identifies key factors contributing to these disparities, you know, and again, it's race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, education, and access to health care. So through this data, you know, they uncover that within the community, individuals from low-income backgrounds, particularly those belonging, you know, to racial and ethnic minority groups, experience higher rates of CBD just due to limited access to nutritious food, um, inadequate physical activity opportunities, and challenges in navigating the healthcare system. So, you know, we say data is everything, right? So armed with this knowledge, 
the initiatives design targeted interventions. You know, they collaborate with local organizations to establish community gardens and increase access to fresh produce. Um, they partner with schools to implement physical activity programs and educate students about health style or health lifestyles. Um, additionally, they provide culturally sensitive healthcare navigation services, which ultimately improve access to preventative care and disease management for underrepresented population. So over time, again, the collection and utilization of intersectional you know, social data enables the initiative to measure their impact accurately. And they find that the incidence of CVD decreases in the targeted communities, narrowing the gap you know, between underrepresented populations and the general population. So the initiative success demonstrates the power of intersectional data in addressing health disparities and promoting health equity, really by tailoring interventions to the specific needs and challenges, you know, faced by those different communities and underrepresented populations. So I, what I think is fascinated by your the, the story here, uh, Gregory, is you you talked early on that you said, you know, you you saw early on uh, uh, when you were younger as, as technology seeing uh, a, a way of solving uh, some of the access problems or some of the clinical problems in health. Then we talk about technology actually being able to collect the data, but those targeted interventions that you're talking about in the actual communities, those don't necessarily have to be technological, uh, high tech, right? They can be oh, as simple as a community exactly. garden. Right? Exactly. Very interesting. Um, so um, let's talk about a little bit about the collection of that data. Um, how, how is there a difficulty in collecting data from communities which sometimes are, are concerned about how that data is going to be used? Um, obviously, these are, are, are communities which have been marginalized in, in other aspects of, of government and or, or society. And, and so there is a fear of collection of data, or is that just a, an impression I have? No, not at all. And and, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of break that down for you. And again, you know, um, if I get too detailed, we can stop. But I, I think there really are a few thoughts on what the industry can work towards, you know, for this goal. One, I think, is cultural competence and sensitivity. You know, healthcare providers and researchers really should prioritize you know, understanding the cultural values, you know, beliefs and practices of different communities. You know, uh, this includes everything from training healthcare professionals and cultural competency to ensure respectful and empathetic interactions. Um, you know, by acknowledging and respecting diverse perspectives, we can create an environment that fosters trust. You know, I think that's super important. And I think another area is, you know, community engagement and collaboration, you know, establishing partnerships, you know, with community organizations and leaders and trusted individuals is essential. You know, think about engaging in open and ongoing communication to address concerns. You know, it's building these relationships. It's involving community members in the research process. And again, collaboration just helps ensure that the data collection methods are aligned you know, with the community needs and preferences. And I, and I think one thing that has to be brought more to the top is just transparent communication, you know, being clear, you know, accessible, transparent, you know, about the purpose, benefits, and potential risks of data collection is vital, you know, and you got to kind of break it down and use plain language to explain the importance of participation. You know, how will data, you know, be protected? How will it be used, you know, to improve health outcomes? 
you know, addressing concerns related to privacy and data security to me is pretty important um, in this initiative. And then, you know, maybe one other, you know, area would be just addressing some of the historical mistrust and disparities. You know, unfortunately, that kind of lingers with us. And you got to acknowledge and address, you know, some of the injustices and biases and disparities that have contributed to healthcare mistrust. You know, so share efforts, you know, being made to rectify these issues, highlight the benefits, you know, of increased representation and research, you know, for marginalized communities. So, again, you know, you can, you know, go on and talk about education and empowerment. You can talk about diverse you know, representation and research and just overall long-term commitment. If we're going to do this, we got to build, you know, trust building efforts that require long-term commitment and consistency, you know, because without it, you know, you can't demonstrate, you know, these actions that the industry is generally dedicated to addressing healthcare disparities, you know, and, and ultimately I believe improving access and respecting the rights and values of all individuals. Right. So it actually brings up a theme we've heard a lot on this podcast, too, is, is the need to meet the patients where they are. And if that means exactly. being sensitive to their cultural, exactly. right, which on the one hand means you almost need a customized, um, you know, way of collecting the data, given a specific community and be given this specific community sensitivities in their history. But there also has to be a sense of standardization. Right. With the data collection or the data accuracy, otherwise things don't um, line up. How, how important is that standardization towards the collection of this data? Very important. I mean, if we're focused on improving patient care, you know, standardized and accurate health data allows, you know, healthcare providers to have a comprehensive and reliable view of patients' medical history, diagnoses, medications and treatments. And really, this enables more informed and coordinated care, you know, by reducing medical errors and enhancing patient safety. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, around interoperability and data exchange today. And it's great. I mean, it's great to see the movement, you know, in digital transformation. It's, I feel like we're finally catching up, but what's happening, you know, standard, you know, standardized data formats and terminology really are needed to facilitate that seamless data exchange between different healthcare systems, you know, ensuring that, you know, critical patient information not only is accessible, but it's got to be understandable across different organizations and care settings. You know, this promotes, you know, what I think is missing is that continuity of care and enabling better care coordination, um, you know, and then you can even take it further and look at how it impacts research you know, in population health management, you know, reliable and standardized health data not only supports robust research initiatives and in population health management, but it allows the researchers and public health agencies to analyze data on a much larger scale, you know, look at identifying trends, track disease outbreaks, and develop evidence-based interventions to improve public health outcomes. So, and, and that's kind of the fundamental. And then you get into actually the data analytics and decision support side, where now if you've got accurate and standardized data, you have the ability to leverage this analytics and decision support system that's being created. And as we're aggregating and analyzing more data that's consistent, imagine now healthcare organizations can derive meaningful insights, you know, start to identify patterns, you know, make data-driven decisions to optimize resource allocation, 
ultimately improving clinical outcomes and enhancing operational efficiency. So, you know, I think those are really kind of the foundational things that we have to do, you know, as we're standardizing data accuracy across health data collection. And, and Greg, where do you think we are on that journey, right? Um, it, is it that um, we're we're still kind of building the standards on here so we can't make that lip, <laughs> leap to analysis? Is that... Yeah, that's a great lead in, right? So, (laughs) you know, I kind of look at it in a couple different ways. One, yes, we need to implement, you know, standards, data standards, you know, whether it's adopting, you know, widely recognized or recognized standards like HL7, which is health, you know, level seven and DICOM, even on the digital imaging and communication side in medicine. But we need it to help ensure, you know, there's consistent data representation, and structured to exchange this different data going across these different health systems and organizations. And, and then, you know, you can even drill down a little bit further and talk about, you know, the use of standardized terminologies, right? You know, we've got to implement standardized clinical terminologies, you know, from SNOMED, you know, to LOINC. Um, it, again, it helps in uniform and accurate coding, you know, of medical concepts, you know, diagnoses and procedures. And really, ultimately, enabling better data analysis and interoperability. And I think an area you're going to appreciate that I'm going to comment on is robust data governance, right? And establishing strong data governance practices. And that includes everything from data quality control, data validation, data stewardship, ensuring data accuracy, integrity throughout its life cycle. And and, and clearly, this involves data governance policies and standardized data entry protocols and regular data audits. And, and, and it's great if we can get to that and we can standardize, because then you've got health information exchanges out there, the HIEs, you know, implementing these platforms and networks, you know, we're calling them now health data utility models that are really allowing for secure and standardized exchange of health data, right? Between not only organizations and systems, but now you've got community data exchange programs. You know, you're going now state to state, you know, data exchange. And as you're facilitating, you know, data, you know, sharing and supporting interoperability, you've got to be able to enhance data accuracy by promoting the best data, um, standardized data formats and protocols. So, uh, Greg, and this is great, great conversation. Um, it's got me uh, thinking about multiple things here, but it sounds like we're, we're building on many fronts, right? We're building on standardization. We continue to do to um, uh, the collection of uh, data from the communities themselves. Um, we've got standard organizations that are going uh, full tank here. We've got the health exchange groups that are building the infrastructure, the pipelines, right? Right. Um, what is what is, is there something are there are challenges that are standing in the way like really tough nuts or is it just we just got a lot more work to do yeah i mean i guess if you broke that down you know kind of there's technical you know challenges and then the non-technical challenges i mean i, I guess i would highlight a couple under the technical side again the big one is you've got legacy you know kind of fragmented systems out there right although we're catching up Cloud is becoming much more the norm. You know, we're seeing, you know, an improvement. But again, most healthcare organizations often use disparate electronic health record systems, you know, and other healthcare applications that have different data structures, you know, formats and coding systems. So integrating and harmonizing data from these systems can be very complex, you know, and time consuming. 
And, you know, we talk about interoperability, but in a, in a kind of an essence, we still lack interoperability. You know, many healthcare systems, you know, and software solutions just do not fully adhere to interoperability standards. So, again, it makes it difficult to exchange data seamlessly between the different systems. And then, of course, you have incompatibilities in data formats. Again, coding schemes and communication protocols hinder actual data sharing and interoperability. And then what we focus on, you know, like not to, you know, uh, tell us too much here, but I have to tell you, data quality issues are such a problem. You know, it's everything from inaccurate, incomplete, inconsistent data. You know, it just, it brings such compromise, um, you know, for the integrity and the reliability of health records. So everything from data entry errors, duplicate patients, right, what we look at in records, and variations, you know, in coding practices just continue to continue um, continue to the data quality challenges, and it really impacts just the accuracy and the usability of the data. And I think we have to watch closely as technology is evolving. You know, we're talking about Gen AI now. We're talking about you know all these different models for predicting medicine and precision health. So. You know, as the healthcare technology uh, landscape is rapidly evolving with new systems and applications and data sources emerging, you know, just keeping up with all these advancements and ensuring compatibility and standardization, you know, across all these different diverse platforms is going to pose some ongoing challenges. And that's just the technical side. There's some non-technical challenges that I think are ahead of us as well. And I'm more than happy to delve in on a couple of those, you know, if you'd like, but. Before we leave the technical challenges, um, what I thought was fascinating about what you said about the technical challenges is, you know, you can build the highways, you can build the pipelines, you can build the standards, create the codes, get it all right, but it's still garbage in, garbage out. It's still exactly. human error putting things in and duplication and and people just frankly not following the rules or vendors not following the rules. Um, and And, you know, to, to, to address the 800 pound gorilla in the room, um, AI, can AI help with that accuracy with those human problems of garbage in and garbage out? Or, or is AI just uh, another tool that could be used uh, badly? <laughs> well, it could definitely be the badly part if not, you know, monitored and, and put some, you know, respect around what goes into these AI engines. Right. So again, you said it garbage in garbage out, you know, so it puts more at risk if we're not putting some structure and policies around how we feed these AI engines, right? So, you know, I, I'm guessing there's going to be much more around the policy side and the uh, the use of AI before it gets out of control. Because I think right now the risk is everything's going in with no monitoring, right? It's just right. feed, feed the engines, and I think we're going to start to see that if we don't put policies around this, we're going to have some interesting um, situations that could be harmful. Um, it could really throw things off. But I also think in the generation of moving to AI, it definitely expedites and accelerates some of the stuff that's taken us a long time to figure out, you know, before we had all this data to look at. So now if we organize the data, we standardize the data and we start using it in the manner of which it's to be used to actually improve care and life and journey, right, in healthcare, I think that we can see some incredible things come out of it. 
Very good. Very good. So now talk to us about the non-technical challenges, maybe. Yeah. So I, again, top of mind, you know, first one would be privacy and, you know, security concerns. You know, again, healthcare data is sensitive and it's personal information. You know, there's two things, healthcare data and financial data, right? Those are really two very personal data sets. And necessitating, you know, some robust privacy and security measures are going to be super important, you know, and it's, again, that striking a balance between data accessibility and protection, but while adhering to regulatory requirements. And I think that's going to be somewhat challenging. Um, And then, of course, you've got cultural and organizational barriers where you've got different healthcare organizations and providers may have varying workflows and practices and policies and making it difficult now to align and standardize data collection and documentation processes across these settings, you know, so resistance to change and lack of buy-in from stakeholders really mm. may, you know, impede that standardization efforts. And I think just complexity of healthcare data as a whole, if you look at health data, you know, it encompasses such a wide range of information. That's everything from clinical notes your imaging data, your lab results, your medications, and now you got patient demographics that you've got to worry about. You've got change in how we're defining people by gender. You know, so we've got to agree on that to standardize. And then, of course, capturizing or capturing and standardizing such diverse data in a meaningful way, I think is going to require careful consideration of everything from terminology to coding systems and data models. And then there's that governance and coordination, you know, step that if we can establish governance structures, you know, and policies and coordination mechanisms, you know, to ensure data standardization and accuracy across these multiple stakeholders, it's going to be challenging, but it can be done. You know, and that's where collaboration is a must, right? Collaboration, you know, among the healthcare organizations, the regulatory bodies, vendors have to be pulled into this. And standardization organizations are going to be necessary, um, but it all requires effort and collaboration. Right. And and uh, let me ask you, uh, just coming out of a pandemic, uh, my sense and the sense of uh, I think many people in the industry was that the pandemic kind of catapulted or, or gave some extra juice or turbo boosted this need uh, to get our healthcare digitalized, transformed it, interoperable, all of these things. And, and it, it, it did seem to at least show the, the dire need for it. Um, on the same token, the pandemic uh, clearly uh, added uh, a number of different issues, not to mention revenue, workforce, inflation, the rest to the providers and hospitals that would have to make this effort. So when you talk about collaboration and, and effort, do you think we're further ahead now or on a good roll or do you think um, things have been slowed through the pandemic? I think it was slow early into the pandemic. I think there was just a lot of chaos to figure out what do we do, right? How do we actually now better manage, you know, this not only, you know, localized pandemic to the U.S., but it's now worldwide, right? So Mm -hmm. I think it tested and put a lot of strain on some legacy processes and legacy technologies. Look at how we had to report out. Many of the hospitals were reporting out through Excel spreadsheets, right, Mm -hmm. you know, up to the CDC. So I think we're now rapidly advancing that faster now because of the pandemic. And I think we're much better positioned for the next, you know, pandemic, whatever that may be. And I even, you know, look at from the difference between COVID and, you know, the monkeypox. 
there was a lot more awareness and a lot better communication, although it was criticized early on, even in the outbreak of monkeypox, but it got better and it got to the point where people much more comfortable about what was being reported and a lot more action was taken and getting people not only aware of it, but getting them you know, vaccinated, getting you know into treatment where I think we were very slow early on in COVID. So I think definitely we made some progress. That's that's a great example. Uh, and so um, once we have uh, put together the collaboration and the effort, we've we put together those various stages of what needs to happen. What what is that perfect world look look like mm-hmm. to you, and specifically with with you know with the uh, these marginalized communities in terms of inequity in, inequity in health? Again, you know, looking forward thinking. This is my view. Forward thinking. I, I would expect we'd have improved health equity. You know, with standardized, you know, and accurate health data, we are going to give our healthcare providers a much more comprehensive understanding of population health trends and disparities. Um, and this knowledge, you know, would really guide targeted interventions, you know, to address health inequities, um, reducing disparities and ensuring equitable access, you know, to quality healthcare services for all individuals, regardless, you know, their background and socioeconomic status. And I really hope in three years we have much more personalized care and preventative interventions. You know, again, if you take accurate health data combined with advanced analytics, you know, we talked about artificial intelligence, it would enable more precise risk stratification and personalized care plans. You know, so healthcare providers would basically proactively identify high risk individuals and communities allowing for targeted, you know, interventions and early interventions to mitigate health risk and improved outcomes. And I I really hope in three years, we're much more data-driven population health management. You know, if you look at population health management efforts, you know, today they've been very disconnected. So we'd want to, you know, see an increased or enhanced way using both accurate and standardized health data, but now you're arming public health agencies and policymakers and healthcare organizations to be able to identify and respond to these emerging, you know, trends, you know, and think about tracking disease outbreaks that we just talked about and really implementing evidence-based interventions to improve the overall population health comes on a larger scale. And I think, you know, a couple other areas, you know, to touch on would be um, seamless you know, care coordination and transitions, right? So interoperable health data systems would really should be able to, at that point, facilitate that better care coordination and transition across different healthcare settings. Um, Providers would ultimately have access to a full comprehensive and up-to-date patient information. And I think that would lead to more efficient and coordination care delivery, which would actually include, you know, smoother transitions between primary care, specialty care, hospitals, post-acute care settings, and uh, reducing gaps, you know, in care and improving that, ultimately improving the patient experience. So, you know, again, you know, those are a couple, I mean, one that, again, if we want to tie in on kind of the evidence-based policy making and research side, again, standardized and accurate health data definitely can provide a robust foundation for evidence-based um, policymaking and research. So again, policymakers would now have access, you know, to better, more comprehensive and reliable data, you know, to guide health policy, allocate resources effectively, 
and ultimately evaluate the impact of interventions. You know, so now research organizations would leverage high quality data for population health studies, you know, clinical trials, and, you know, ultimately the development of innovative treatments and interventions. I love it. That's a, that's a beautiful world. Probably not in three years though, right? Yeah, it's a lot. You know, I mean, <laughs> we've made some, we, well, look at things are moving fast, right? I mean, if you look at 2000 to 2020, really slow movement in healthcare interoperability. It wasn't until electronic health records coming in around what, 2010, meaningful use, the RAC. But I think now the gaps in, in the speed that, you know, we're going to see will pick up and go faster. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about policy. I think about, you know, the economics of the situation. I think about 90% of our three trillion spent on healthcare is on chronic care. In order to crack that three trillion on chronic care, you've got to do the continuity of care. In order to do continuity of care, you've got to have the data and interoperability so you can follow the patient one record. Yeah. One and you made right? me think of something when you just said that, you know, I think another thing that we hope for in three years, if we're looking, you know, forward thinking, we want to empower patients, you know, and 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 share decision making, right? I mean, data is great, more accurate data. If you couple that with improved health literacy, just imagine we would empower patients to actually participate in their own healthcare decisions, right? Patients would have access now to their own comprehensive health records, you know, really enabling them to make much more informed choices and engage in shared decision-making with their healthcare providers. And I think this type of collaborative approach would foster patient-centered care and actually enhance better health outcomes. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. And, and I do think there's been a shift, you know, this move towards transparency of, of billing and pricing, right? And um, this this idea that sooner or later the American consumer is going to take responsibility for the health. I think a lot of it's based on data. We we look at that data when we count our steps. We look at that data when we're you know checking. Got my watch telling me when to stand up. <laughs> that's exact. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So you know, game theory applies here, and right. we like data. And if we have that immediate feedback, then I think you will find consumers to be more actively engaged in their health. Yeah. Totally agree. That's terrific. All right. So uh, I tell you what, I'm going to leave you with the last word here and then also uh, take some time to point maybe the audience to resources that maybe you've mentioned uh, in this uh, podcast or of other resources uh, that can address some of the things you talked about. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, I, I think there are great resources out there that provide incredible information and insights, you know, on both standardization of health data quality and, and usability of data. I mean, it goes without saying, and I, I would first pass along Weedy. Um, I think incredible organization in facilitating amazing work, um, research, you know, organizing, you know, pilots on data standardization. I know there's an active project going on now. So, I mean, it's a big shout out to Weedy because I think they're doing some incredible, incredible work in this area. Right on. And, Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Yeah, that. <laughs> and I'll give a shout out to ONC. I think another organization, you know, they offer some incredible resources and guidelines on health information exchange, um, interoperability and data standards. HL7, again, they're globally recognized, you know, for standards development. Um, again, they have incredible resources um, related to health data quality, data exchange and integration. You know, go to their websites. They're easy to find. Um, we kind of forget once in a while about NIST, right? The National Institute of Standards and Technology. And again, NIST, they 
um, have incredible information, you know, publications and research papers, you know, a lot of it's public, you know, there's nothing that you have to sign up for or pay for. It's a great repository, again, providing insight into best practices, you know, for ensuring data quality in healthcare. And if you want to kind of look more broad, you know, you look at ISO, the International Organization for Standardization. Again, they've published some great um, work uh, around health informatics, and they do include, you know, data quality management and data exchange. Um, their standards, you know, provide guidance on not only ensuring the accuracy and completeness, but really on the reliability of the data, right? It's great to be moving data and having access to data, but how reliable is the data? So I think they're they're a great organization. And we've talked about pandemic and we've talked about COVID and uh, uh, monkeypox. I would say, you know, the World Health Organization, you know, um, they provide guidance, you know, and resources on health data quality and standardization at the global level. So again, as we're interacting and we've become much more international, you know, we move, we fly, we travel, you know, we we engage outside of the country. You know, we looked to them, you know, and their data that they publish on just overall data quality assessment, governance, you know, and the use of health information for decision making. So, again, just a few resources, you know, that I think are valuable references for healthcare, you know, professionals and researchers, you know, and organizations really looking, you know, to understand and implement best practices you know, for not only standardizing, but improving the quality of health data. Terrific. Thank you, Greg. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. Likewise. What a pleasure. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and thank you all. Uh, this has been a great discussion with Gregory Church, president of Four Medica. And this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org, W-E-D-I.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe. <laughs>